0: So we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts and the portion that was read for us just a while ago. Thank you to those who read the scripture from Acts 13, from verse 13 through to 52, we will look at, um, is Paul's first missionary journey. And it's exciting to delve into the word of God in this way. What I really like about it is that it brings a whole counsel of God. So it's not a It's not a buffet, it's not a buffet serving, it's not a pick and mix. As we go through, the scripture raises certain issues and we deal with them, you know, so that we can live balanced in our Christian walk. So we give God thanks for that. And thank you for those who have shared on the journey thus far. And thank you, church, for opening your hearts to this type of ministry from the scripture. Really appreciate that. So last week, we learned how to position ourselves to hear from the Holy Spirit, and we saw that mission begins in familiar places. So what we're going to look at this morning is the first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul, and there's much that we can glean And Learn from that Let's bow our heads together for prayer God our Father we thank you for your presence amongst us for the worship For the reading of the scripture and for the prayer that's already been offered Lord you spread the table of your word before us And we pray that you will speak In simple but profound ways to our hearts That will bring transformation on the inside, but Lord, that will work itself out in a manifestation of how we live and speak and act and what we do. We thank you, Lord, as we commit ourselves to you, all those present and those in the virtual space, you will speak to every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Acts 13 from verse 13 through to the end. So we're looking at the first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul. This is a man that changed the course of world history by preaching the truth of the gospel. And in this first recorded sermon, we have a good example here of what he preached. And, you know, this is, of course, one of his many messages. It's not the first message, that he preached because he had been converted to Christ for a number of years now. But this is the first one that we have recorded in the scripture, and it's a very powerful message. The scripture says it was preached in a synagogue on a Sabbath morning, and this message shook the whole city so much more that we see in verse 44 of this chapter, that the next Sabbath almost the whole city gather to hear the word of God. That's some powerful preaching, isn't it? Amen. I'm going to read again the whole portion of the scripture. I know it's been read, but I'm going to read through it again and just comment as we go. So Acts 13.13, it says, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Amen. So we already picked up last week that there's been a shift in the leadership here formerly in the book of Acts it was Barnabas and Saul but we see here in Acts 13 it now becomes Saul and his party or Saul and his company and that marks the beginning of the apostleship of Paul and that he now becomes the leader of this missionary journey And it also maybe suggests one of the reasons why John Mark, you remember from last week, he was their helper, he was their under rower, he was like their roadie. This is perhaps one of the reasons why John Mark left and returned to Jerusalem. And last week I shared two schools of thoughts why this may have taken place. The first one was that John Mark was the son of a wealthy widow. He was raised in luxury. They were coming into the mainland now. They were coming into a place where gangs were operating, where there were robbers, where they were going to f- experience rejection, as we'll see as we go throughout this, this chapter. And maybe John Mark, he, he just wasn't ready for this. So he just went home to his mom. But we know that this caused friction between Paul and John Mark, and then eventually between Paul and Barnabas, and there's going to be a separation of these two great men. So this was something major that took place. Also, as I mentioned, one of the other schools of thought is that perhaps John Mark resented the Apostle Paul. Because remember, he is the nephew of Barnabas. And he came on the journey because Uncle Barnabas was in charge. Now Saul takes the lead, or Paul takes the lead on on this journey. And maybe he just said, well, I'm not having this. You know, because you've just shoved my uncle out of the way and you've taken over. So maybe that's why he left. We don't know. Those are two schools of thoughts. So the scripture says here that they came to Antioch. There's a map there, if you can put that map up for me, please. So this is not the Antioch in Syria. Remember last week we talked about God raising up a church in Antioch who would become now like the HQ of Christianity in that time because the church in Jerusalem, they were still waiting. They hadn't moved out from Jerusalem to take the gospel into gentile territory so remember god is not held hostage by anybody so jerusalem church is not moving so god raises up another church you know what my prayer is that god don't have to raise up another church in place of harvest temple amen we want god to use us but we must do what god has commanded us to do so this is not the same antioch hq in syria that they left Rome to go on this this mission. This is another Antioch in the region of Pisidia, which was part of the ancient Roman province of Galatia. So we have in our Bible, in our New Testament, letters that Paul wrote to the Galatians, to those in Colossae, in Ephesus, etc. So Galatia is not a city, it's a region. So, when we read a letter that's written to the Galatians, Paul is writing to these cities in this region Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. He's writing to that region. The others are letters to cities like Ephesus, Corinth, etc. So, they came into the synagogue according to the custom of Paul, and Paul had adopted this custom. And we're going to see this recurring as we journey through the book of Acts. As Paul comes into a region or into a city, the first place he heads for is the synagogue. And that's because God said that the gospel was to go to the Jew first, then to the Greek. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew then to the gentile so what we see paul the way he's operating here is not a matter of preference because he prefers the jews but it's a matter of precedence jews were god's people who were chosen to reveal christ to the world they had the promises they had the oracles they had the psalms they had the prophets We know that they rejected the Messiah, but yet they were God's people who were chosen. So Paul went to the Jew first, whenever he went to a city, and then to the Greeks or to the Gentiles. And I thought, you know, um, maybe for those either in here watching who may be thinking of setting up a mission Sunday school, a church in a town or city, out of respect, you should go to the churches in that city. You don't just turn up. You must have manners. (laughs) You don't just turn up and say you're going to start a church in the city. Speak to the elders, speak to the church leaders, and get their blessing. I remember. Also, that these men, Paul and Barnabas, they were sent. They didn't just went. Is that good English? (laughs) You understand. They didn't just go. They were sent, and they go to the synagogue first. Amen. So according to the custom of the synagogues, as strangers, they were invited to speak. Now one commentator says that perhaps maybe by something which they were wearing that the leader of the synagogue could identify that these were theological scholars. Remember, Paul has a double doctorate degree in theology. So I don't know if he wore something that would identify him as that. But somehow they knew that they were strangers and they invited them to speak. And Paul's speech was a very great and a very important speech it's a message that's going to shake this city his message falls into three simple divisions which we will look at very carefully so that we might understand the power of the mighty word of god so reading from verse 16 down to 25 it says then paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said men of israel And you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Isn't God patient? Put up with their ways for 40 years. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, He distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David. The son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do after all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Amen. So one of the things I want to point out, hopefully you notice here, that the style of Paul's sermon, and remember this is the first recorded sermon, is very similar to the style of Stephen's sermon. If you remember back in Acts chapter 7, That very powerful message that Stephen brought when he was on trial before the Sanhedrin Council. And Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin Council. He was present, he heard Stephen's message, and he was a participant and condoned the stoning to death of Stephen. And I believe that message haunted Paul. In fact, that message would have planted a seed of truth, in Saul as he was called back then. And I believe that seed led to the conversion of the apostle Paul. So Paul remembering and witnessing that message of given by Stephen, that powerful message in Acts chapter seven, he's using almost like the same formula where he's going to recount to the Jews their history and then bring a link to show where Jesus is then now the fulfillment of all that was prophesied. So he's following the same sort of tactics as Stephen. And you will notice that this sermon is divided into three parts. And each section begins with the phrase, men and brethren, or men and brothers. So, this, this might be helpful to, to me, to those who preach, to those who teach, to those who have to deliver presentations. It's an applicable principle. So, notice the first part, Acts 13, 16 to 25, is Paul's preparation. So, Paul knows the audience he's speaking to, and he has to prepare their hearts Prepare their minds to receive the word of God. So he's meeting them where they're at. And then from Acts 13, 26 to 37, is Paul's declaration. And this is a declaration of the message of the gospel. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, never waters down the gospel, he always hits hard when he brings that declaration of the gospel. And then thirdly, Acts 13, 38 to 52, is the application of the message. So he prepares the heart, he brings a declaration, and then he says this is how you apply that declaration. So Paul always speaks to his audience. As I said, in this case, he's speaking to Jews in the synagogue, or mainly Jews, because there are some God-fearing people in the synagogue, but they're mainly Jews. So he starts with recounting their own history that they would be familiar with from the Holy Scripture. And he shows them that all that the Scripture says is pointing to jesus christ and we say that at the very outset of this series the book of acts is all about jesus the person of jesus and his works now when paul speaks to gentiles he speaks them in a totally different way he doesn't go through The history of the Jews because they don't know the history of the Jews they won't be able to relate to it and you will see that in Acts chapter 14 you know we just did the memory passage you know one of the reasons why it was so challenging to learn that passage because we don't speak like that we don't speak like that what was that last line Not as in my presence only. I mean, who speaks like that? So when we're communicating the gospel, it's important that we communicate it based on who we're speaking to. So that they get it. Amen? So we're going to learn from the master evangelist here, Paul, how to speak to people in their own language. You know that's one of the reasons, and don't stone me for this, that's one of the reasons why I don't read the King James or the authorized version in church. Because people don't speak like that. These and thou's and whereforeth. People who are not churched it's going to just make their brain be spinning around. What on earth are you talking about? It's a distraction. I love the King James version. I was brought upon it. What we have to speak... The language that they speak out there on the street, that, that's easy for them to understand. Amen. There's a, there's a story I heard some years ago about um, a organization that was sending like a barrel to an area where they'd experienced some sort of a disaster. And they were sending clothes and relief and funds and so on. And when they opened the barrel, they found a little tin and he had a picture of a white baby on the tin Now when you have tins of vegetables, you know you have a tin of carrots. What's on the outside of that? <laughs> What's on the outside of a tin of beans? So if you give people in some foreign country are not used to What we use in this country a tin With a picture of a white baby on it What do you think they think is inside? So right there you've lost them. So that's why we have to speak and communicate in ways that people understand. They didn't get that and they were, they were afraid to open that tin. So I'm not downing the authorized version, I'm just saying we don't speak like that on the street. Mans don't speak like that out there. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So we're moving on. Notice that Paul, following the pattern of Stephen, begins to reintroduce and recount the history of the Jews to them. But this is not history as we normally read it. Because normally when we read history, it's about a great individual, isn't it? maybe a former prime minister, or someone who achieved something great. This history is not centered on any human being. It centers on God. So the Apostle Paul points out in his message 11 different instances of what God had done. He says, God chose our fathers and made a great people. He led them out of Egypt God bore with them in the wilderness for 40 years. God destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan and gave them their land as an inheritance. God gave them judges. Then they asked for a king and he gave them Saul. And when he, God had removed him, he raised up David. And finally God brought to Israel a savior from the loins of David as he had promised So it's all about what God had done, not any human being. What God had done, and it ends by saying that from the loins of his servant David comes forth Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Amen. I'm not going to go through each um, of these stories here. Time wouldn't permit to comment on all of the stories from the Old Testament but we've said it often enough from this lectern that the Old Testament mirrors the life of the New Testament believers. So when you see the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God's people either obeying or disobeying, and that goes around in cycles, doesn't it? One minute they're obeying, God's blessing them, and then they fall away from that, and then God, they fall under God's judgment. Well, it's a similar thing that happens to us as New Testament believers. So there's much profit in reading through the Old Testament. But I just want to highlight David, because he comes up twice. He's he's in the, the introduction, he's also in the declaration. Notice in verse 22, it says, David, he raised up as a king, To whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. That's a staggering statement when you think of who David was. We know David as a giant slayer. He's an expert singer and songwriter. But David wasn't a great father. David wasn't a great husband. And David had an illicit sexual relationship that led to murdering one of his own mighty men that was close to him. And we know that Uriah was close to David because he lived close to the palace. And obviously he's not going to have people living close to the palace who he doesn't trust. So David commits adultery and has Uriah's wife for himself So David was not perfect. What the scripture says, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. So what does that mean? If David did all these wrongs, how could he be a man after God's own heart? Well, I believe the scripture is saying that David was never, ever satisfied with his state of spiritual being. He was never satisfied with his spiritual condition. And even though he strayed and did all these evil things, he would come back to God, wouldn't he? Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. We can see inconsistencies and failures in David. Well, if we look at ourselves, what do we see? Don't we see the same thing? inconsistencies failures flaws so the important thing is we all fail James tells us that we all make errors many times but what are you pursuing in spite of your failures and your slip-ups are you pursuing God because if you're pursuing God then you're like David You're a person after God's own heart. And that's important. So, after Paul meets this audience of many Jews where they're at, he now brings the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? That according to the scriptures, Jesus Christ died for our sins, he was buried. And he rose again. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Quite simple. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So let me read through this declaration from verse 26. Notice it starts with, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, To you the word of this salvation has been sent for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they find no cause for death in him, they ask Pilate that he should be put to death. In other words, they ask for Jesus to be executed. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus. So what Paul is saying to them here is that everything that you've been studying in your synagogues or on the Sabbath for years points to and finds its fulfillment in the person and works of Jesus Christ. Even though you didn't fully understand what you were reading, but he's saying to them it all points to Jesus. And reading on, he says, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep was buried, and his father saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Amen. Paul is reiterating that the law, the prophets, the Psalms, which they were all familiar with, all finds their fulfillment in the person and works Of Jesus Christ, even though they were not aware of this. And of course, it's speaking here from the Psalms, it's speaking of Jesus. It's not speaking of David, because we know David fell asleep, didn't he? He served his generation and he died. It's speaking here of Jesus, that even though Jesus died, his body did not decay, because he was raised From the dead. And there are people who will say, well, we'll argue against that and say, no, the scripture here is speaking of David. But if you read Psalms 22, Psalms 23, Psalms 24, if you need to be convinced that those Psalms are prophetic, when you think about Jesus on the cross, what does he say? He quotes from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, I just quoted it in King James. Did you notice? (laughs) Because that's what's what's up there. Bilingual, Bilingual, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so the Psalms are prophetic and they speak of, uh, yes, David, but it's speaking prophetically of what was to come, speaking of Jesus, even though they didn't understand it. Verse 28 says, and though they found no cause for death in him so he was innocent they asked Pilate that he should be put to death For a better translation would be they asked Pilate for him to be executed that's Acts 13 28 so Jesus was put to death by way of crucifixion Matthew 27 22 and 23 but that wasn't the usual way that the Jews would undertake capital punishment they would normally stone people so We know that Stephen in Acts 7, he was stoned to death. And we will see next week in Acts 14, that Paul is also stoned. They thought he was dead, but he didn't die. So why didn't they stone Jesus? Why was the Jewish crowd chanting, crucify him, crucify him? They didn't understand what they were doing, but they were fulfilling the scripture that says that he would be executed he wouldn't be stoned to death he would be crucified deuteronomy 21 so paul is saying to them do you get this that you were part of this journey even though you didn't understand what you were reading and learning But you are a part of it, and the fulfillment of all this is in Jesus Christ. And we see in verse 44 that a number of them do accept this declaration and the message that Paul is bringing to them. Again, he's speaking to Jews, and Paul doesn't water down the message of the gospel, but he speaks to them in their own language. In Acts 14, we see that Paul delivers the gospel to a Gentile audience in Lystra, but he uses a totally different approach. There's no mention when he speaks to the people in Lystra who are Gentiles about the prophets, the Psalms, the law, but his starting point is about creation. Acts 14:15. So you see how he switches it up according to who he's speaking to. And I believe that in this time, we need to preach the word. We need to teach the word, but also believe that we need to use the mediums that the world is accessing. So, Brother Dion is putting on a play called Barabbas. Did you know that's bringing it to the people in language that they can understand? Through music, drama... Through the social media. So if you're on Facebook and all these outlets, don't just tell us what color socks you're wearing and where you went on holiday. Amen. Amen. Bring the gospel. Don't dilute it. It's part of who you are. You don't have to make an excuse for being a disciple and a follower of Christ. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Well, you might not get so many likes. If you put it out there, so strong. But we have to bring it in the language and by means in which people can connect, relate to, and understand. Paul understood this. And when he's speaking to the Gentiles, he uses a complete different strategy to communicate to them. So we have to consider the culture that is around us. The culture around us is smart, but it's also skeptical. And we have the unchurched, many who have never probably read a Bible, never been to a church service, hardly know anything about the Word of God. And then you have the dechurched. These are people who perhaps grew up in church, But they've left the church because they see the church as a set of do's and don'ts and rules. You can do this, but you can't do that. And they're fed up with that. So they've left the church. So for each of these audiences, you have to know how to present the gospel. So here are some tips for you. The first one, I believe, which is one of the most powerful ways to present the gospel, is by way of your testimony. People may not know about Adam and Eve, and Jacob, and Daniel, and Deborah, but you have your personal testimony. Your testimony is, this is who I was before I met Jesus. Then I met Jesus, and this is who I am now, and who God is making me to be. So that's how in this time, we can bring the gospel to a cynical world, to a world that is unchurched, and D-Church, we share our personal testimony. And then Peter says that we must be ready to give an answer for what we believe. 1 Peter 3, 15. So if you share your testimony and somebody wants to know more, well, perhaps this is what you could say. God created men and women to have a relationship with him. He gave the first man and woman the choice between him and sin. God didn't create us as robots. He gives us a free will and he never invades that space. He allows us to make our own choices. So the first one, and woman, they chose their own way and sinned. As a result, this brought death for the human race. God made a way to restore relationships so that we too can choose him. He raised up Moses and gave him the law, a set of rules, to show human beings that there is no way they could ever keep these rules. But somebody was coming who could keep all the rules perfectly. That person is Jesus Christ. He was God, or He is God, but He became human. He lived on earth and perfectly kept all the rules for us. He died on the cross. He took our punishment and paid the full price for our salvation. So that by accepting him and his gift of salvation, we can have life and be restored in our relationship to God. I don't know how long that took me. Two to three minutes or the most four minutes. That's probably the most that a skeptical on church person can receive. No point digging deep into... They're not going to get it. So we have to approach them where they are at without complicating the message. Amen? Now let's look at the application. Paul brings the application from verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, And by him, everyone who believes is justified. That's an important word there. Justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despise us, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe that means they're going to hear the word but they're not going to believe it though one were to declare it to you so when the jews went out of the synagogue the gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next sabbath now this is gentiles asking for this now when the congregation had broken up many of the jews and devout proselytes followed paul and Barnabas who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord had commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Amen. Notice from this passage that the law, it can point out sin, but it can't remove it. So all the sacrifices that they were doing in the Old Testament, you know, the bullocks, the the turtle doves, it was just covering over sin, but it it couldn't remove it. But in Jesus Christ... It says, through this man, everyone who believes is justified. That's an important word. It's one of those technical words that we see in the Bible, justification. Whoever believes is justified. And we use the, just as if you had never sinned. Yeah, but it means more than that. It's to be free from all guilt. To be justified means that Jesus in dying on the cross, has removed all our sin, past, present, and future. All our sin has been removed. But it's not just that God has removed our sin. God has done it in a way which obeys his own laws. Now, as someone who serves in the military... When they come to the end of their tenure, they are discharged from the military. That means that they're through with the military, and the military is through with them. They have no obligation, if there's a call to war, to honor that. But you can be discharged from the military with an honorable discharge. That means there's no blot, no stain on your record. It doesn't mean that you didn't do anything wrong either, it just means you never got caught. So there's no blot on your record. So you can leave and show your record to an employer, to anybody you're proud of. it, But you can also be discharged from the military with a dishonorable discharge. So the military doesn't require your services anymore. But on your discharge papers, there are blots and there are stains. And perhaps you wouldn't really want to show that to everybody. When God discharges our sin... Amen, from our lives. He does it in an honorable way by obeying his own laws. God doesn't sweep our sin under the carpet. God doesn't do any favors to anybody to say, well, you know, we're friends, so I'll just let you off with that one, you know. Don't tell anybody, though. God does it in an honorable way so that when we are free, guess what? No matter what you've done in the past, the only one that's going to accuse you is the devil but you can truly say I am free justified all guilt has been removed there's no stain no blot on my discharge papers my sin was discharged in an honorable way through Jesus Christ on the cross can I get an amen in this house god will not compromise his honor because he is a righteous and just god so he removes our sins in line with his own principles and his own law and who he is in an honorable way so the scripture tells us there were gentiles here they are god-fearers we mentioned that before these are people who are seeking the true and living God, the one God of Israel, but they don't want to get caught up in all the rituals, and they're not interested in any of that. What they're seeking, they know what they have is not enough. They're seeking for God. So the, the, the number of the Gentiles here begins to multiply, and the Jews start to cause trouble. And then Paul reminds him in verse 47 that Isaiah prophesied this. And then I'm skipping through now. Verse 48. Notice there it says, As many had been appointed or chosen, ordained to eternal life, believed. This is talking about predestination. We can read about this in Romans 8 and Ephesians 1. The idea of predestination. The order here is that those who were chosen received Christ when they believed. Now this can, you know, we can get into lots of arguments about predestination because some would say, well, the reason why I'm not saved is because I wasn't chosen. (laughs) Or how do I know I was chosen? Well, God, who is all-knowing, has the ability, remember God doesn't live in time and space like us. God has the ability to look down the corridors of time And even though he's given each one of us a free will, and he never violates our will, God knows who's going to choose him, and who's going to reject him. So those who are going to choose him are the chosen ones. Now someone's going to say, well that's unfair, because I'm not a chosen one. Well just, if anyone says that to you, just tell him, well choose Jesus right now, and you'll become one of the chosen ones. (laughs) Amen. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Where well, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we see here in verse 39, the word of God is spreading throughout this region in Galatia. But then the Jews get prominent people to bring legal action against Paul and Barnabas to expel them from the region. So you see persecution starts to come now. And that often accompanies the preaching of the gospel. So what looks like a tremendous opportunity because this is shaking the whole city the whole city comes out the next Sabbath to hear Paul and Barnabas suddenly this opportunity is shut down this door closes maybe all of us have experienced something like that in life where something looks promising looks like it's a goer but then it's shut down It could be that you have been witnessing to somebody, praying for someone, maybe they came to church even, but now they seem further away from God than when you first spoke to them. Remember that your part is just to sow the seed. We cannot convert anybody to Jesus Christ. Some will fall... On good ground, some will fall on rocky ground, etc., etc. So we have to do our job to sow the seed, to share our faith, share our testimony. You don't have to feel guilty if someone's had the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ, but they don't accept him. It's their choice. And of course, we can pray that these individuals come to faith in Jesus Christ. When you look in the Old Testament, you will see that Noah preached for over a 100 years. How many people was converted under Noah's ministry? Seven. His wife, his three sons and his daughter-in-laws. Jeremiah preached for 40 years. Forty years. How many converts did Jeremiah have in 40 years? Not even one. But was he faithful? Will he get a reward in heaven? So our job is to sow the seed, to share our testimony, to be faithful in what God has called us to do. Because God rewards us on the basis of our faithfulness and not success. Someone said that with me. God rewards us on the basis of our faithfulness And not success. So what did Paul and Barnabas do? Legal action is taken against them to expel them from the city. Seems like this is a wonderful opportunity opening up, but it's shut down all of a sudden. Verse fifty one says they shook the dust of their feet. We see that also in the gospel. What does that mean to shake the dust off your feet? It means that they decide, you know what, we're just gonna move on. We've been rejected, we're facing a situation where there's heartache here, there's pain here, but we are going to move on. And they went to Iconium, the scripture says. And notice, after they shook the dust off their feet, verse 52 says, that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, are you living life dusty? Are you living life dusty? Is there some dust? Is there some dust on you? Are you walking around carrying rejection? Rejection is a horrible thing, you know. You ever ask a girl out for a date and she said no? Well, the woman wouldn't have... It burn you, it burn you. (laughs) Have you ever gone to a job interview when you've prepared and you think you got this one in the bag? You got your presentation and you all you know, and you go up there and you give it one hundred percent. You know, when you don't hear from them the same day or the next day, you know what that means? It means you haven't got it. (laughs) And then you get that dear John letter. Or you get a phone call saying, you were good, but someone just peeped you to the post. I'd lie, them telling. (laughs) And you know, you can feel a bit down about that. I remember when I was made redundant. Anyone ever been made redundant? How did you feel? You just feel like a number, don't you? (laughs) You're just thinking, I've been sweating for this employer, doing my very best. I told you this before, when I was made redundant in 2000 come back off Christmas break and the management kept it a secret nobody knew and then they called us together when we went back after the Christmas break you know everybody spent all their money on shopping and (laughs) you know Christmas tree and gifts and everything and then we come back they called us together in groups around the site 2000 people worked on this site and simultaneously at 11 o'clock that morning I'll never forget these words one of the senior managers, he was standing on something. I don't know if it was a milk crate or what. And he said, it is with regret. <laughs> uh, to this day, there's, that tone of voice is still in my head. And then he gave us the bad news. I remember walking back to my office and it was total silence. Nobody was speaking to anybody. It was such a shock to the system Rejection Jesus handled rejection well you know Yeah he did When Judas came and kissed him Wow He said friend Is this the way you betray me I don't think I could do that Peter took out his sword. That's more like the sort of action that you'd probably take. But Jesus said, friend. You knew it was a kiss of betrayal. So rejection is something that's hard to take. It brings heartache. It brings pain. But Paul and Barnabas shook it off. Shook it off. Amen. Amen. Whenever a door closes... God always opens another door. Sometimes we can't see that. When my job was made redundant, and I say my job, not me. I don't think I'd be standing here speaking to you if my job wasn't made redundant. You see, God opens up another door. I couldn't see it at the time, but God led me step by step to a place where I just totally surrendered and said, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. And I think in my heart, if that call had come and I was in my good, good job, I'm not sure I would have taken it. But God shut down that opportunity but he opened up another door. God will do the same for you. God will do the same for you. But you have to trust him because he's working things out for your best, eternal I say eternal, because sometimes we don't see the fulfillment of all that God wants to do in this life. But God is working out all things for your eternal interests. And if we can shake off rejection today, we will be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Again, we're going to go to the place of prayer. I'm calling on us to be honest today if you are struggling because you've been rejected it could be one of the scenarios that I've just mentioned or it could be something else a broken relationship some disappointment someone has just said I don't want you or I don't need your services anymore I'm not going to give you the contract and that thing is really really Bothering you, it's hurt you. Today I want to encourage you to shake that off. To shake it off, to dust that off, to shake the dust off your feet and to move on. Why? Because when one door closes, even though sometimes we can't see it, sometimes it's like we're in a maze and we can't understand. Well, God, you just left me out here in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. I can't see no opportunities opening up out here. But God is faithful. He closes one door, and then he opens up another door. I wonder if someone in here today is in that maze or in that wilderness place because of rejection. But God is working in the background, and God is about to open up another opportunity. They went to Iconium. I don't know what your Iconium looks like, but God is working to lead you to your Iconium. And in that place, you will be filled with joy and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we stand together? If you're here today, again, if we need to protect the identity of those who may come forward, we will do that, media team. We're going to go to the place of prayer. I'm asking us all to be honest. If you're in that place of rejection and you want to move on today, this is your opportunity. I want to invite you just to come forward and we'll pray for you. I'm not going to ask you any of your... Business, I don't need to know, and I'm not going to make any assumptions either that I know why you're coming forward. You may come forward for a totally unrelated reason, but we want to, as a church, pray with you today. God wants to open up a new door of opportunity, but you've got to shake off that dust, you've got to shake off that rejection before you're able to move on. Is there anyone here that wants to come forward for prayer? We'll just wait for a moment. This is not to expose anybody or to bring any embarrassment. But as we walk through the book of Acts, let's just apply these words to our situations here and now. They shook off that dust and they moved on. And that's what we're going to do in this house today. Thank you for your honesty and for coming forward. All of us have suffered rejection. All of us, every single one of us. but The Spirit of God is here to free us from that this morning. So that we can move on. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer as we bow our heads together. God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the principles and practices, Lord, in the Holy Scripture. And more so, we thank you for the application of these things, oh God. They were written in the past for our learning today. So, Lord, we take your word and we apply it directly to our lives and circumstances. I thank you for those who are standing at this altar today. Lord, I don't know why each individual is here, but you know. You know their train of thought, oh God. You can read their thoughts afar off. Lord, perhaps they're standing here because they feel rejected by someone close to them it could be a job situation Lord I pray in the name of Jesus that you will help these individuals like Paul and Barnabas in the scripture even though legal action was brought against them Lord they didn't get discouraged but they shook off the dust of their feet and they moved on to Iconium. And even so, I pray God for a, a, a move of your spirit upon those who stand at this altar. Lord, that they'll be able to shake off that rejection. Maybe it was a kiss of betrayal. by Judas. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. Will you soothe their hearts? Heal these sorrows and wounds, O oh God in jesus name lord let them dust themselves off at this altar spiritually speaking dust themselves off lord from those memories and for those from those words that were meant to pierce their souls in the name of jesus and so lord i pray holy spirit that you will come and fill them with joy and with the power of the Holy Spirit as they move on from this place, oh God. Whatever they have suffered will not determine their future. Even though this door has closed, maybe slammed in their face, you are working for their eternal interest and you are opening up new doors that might not be able to see today. But well, I pray you to help them to believe you and trust you. I call in those opportunities now, Father, in Jesus' name. Speak to those doors to open up these new doors, these new opportunities. In the name of Jesus. And I pray you would grant to your servants the faith, Lord, to move from where they are. And to walk through these doors of opportunity in the name of Jesus. May they take you at your word, Father. May they take you at your word. Help them to trust you wholeheartedly, O oh God. And watch to see what you are going to do. Something marvelous, something miraculous, something extraordinary, mighty God something that only you can do Lord God in the name of Jesus and so we give thanks and praise to your holy name let's lift our hands to God do you know that you are accepted in the beloved God never rejects anybody Amen you are accepted in the beloved God loves you with eternal love with everlasting love. Hallelujah. All who come to him, he welcomes. Amen. Someone say, God loves me. Say, God loves me. God accepts me. I am the beloved of my Father God. Hallelujah. Now the praise the Lord in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God.